Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Alan Cumming, and welcome to my shelves. My shelves are sort of a museum of my life. I like to keep things from my travels that are, to me anyway, the very essence of the experiences I've had. Sort of portals, if you will, to a specific time and place. And the inspiration for stories and memories and musings. Uh, here is an oil painting done by my friend Tonka, who happens to be a chimp and who I'm trying to desperately get out of a horrible situation he's in in Missouri and get him to safety and let him roam free again. Whoa, this is good. This is a wallet, but when you open it, flames come out. More on that later. And today I'm talking to my old friend, the film and theatre director, Sam Mendes. Strangely, I don't have my finger on Baz's pulse at the moment. Oh, don't. I got a bad visual there. Welcome and bienvenue. Welcome. Sam Mendes became artistic director of the Donmar Warehouse Theatre in London's West End at age 25. And it was during his tenure there that we first worked together. Then in 1999, he moved into film and directed American Beauty, for which he won an Oscar. Since then, he's worked extensively in both theatre and film, reinvigorating the James Bond franchise and, most recently, having a huge success with the very personal war story, 1917. So, Sam Mendes, uh, Monsieur, I have in my hand a boot, and it's a boot that it's sort of a very scuffed boot, a black and white boot. It's, it's, like, it's a boot that sort of looks like it's a boot wearing spats, but it's all one boot. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, It's like a, a, a mock spat, and it's the boot. I don't know where the other one is, actually, but it's the boot that I wore as the Master of Ceremonies in Cabaret in the 1993 production in the Dormar Warehouse, which you so beautifully directed well I never and isn't that crazy I actually have a bit of a fetish about shoes that I've worn in shows I've kind of kept a few but that's another podcast well let me tell you I, I remember this boot these boots but that perhaps that specific boot quite well because I remember <laughs> very much I remember when you did Two Ladies uh, yes. you were in these boots and and long socks with stock with suspenders suspenders yes suspenders yeah and a pair of a pair of Y fronts that on anyone else, Alan, might have been unattractive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, sort of hitch, hitched up <laughs> yeah, like an old right. man just above the boobs. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that was a look. Yeah, it we had was sort a of like funny, uh, like a <laughs> pants and vest from yeah. sort of Marks and Spencer's. 
Yeah. Uh, but we're and still trying to make it look saucy. I remember the moment, the first time we did that uh, in front of an audience, that two ladies, and it was like the producers, you know, when everyone sees the springtime for Hitler moment, everyone was just <laughs> aghast. It was, it was rude. It was rude. It was it the was. rudest. It was the rudest number in the show. There was a, uh, there was there there was a sort of dumb show. There was a shadow play that involved. That's right. Involved some quite extreme sexual acts. I knew that you. I knew you would be incapable of not using the word. Oh, I'm very <laughs> proud. I was did the first fist fuck on Broadway, Sam. It's like oh, it's on my, it's in my resume. Uh, there was also some. There was also some waterworks involved as well. I seem to remember. Oh, that's right. But also, I the fact. They <laughs> cut that for Broadway. <laughs> For those listening, we did it in 93 in London uh, at, at the Donmar, and then we re- revived yep. it. Well, we, we did a new production, which was a new choreography by Rob Marshall on all sorts of new editions on Broadway in 98. And then we revisited it not so long ago for its <laughs> 25th anniversary, and you did it again for, I think, a year on Broadway. So, yes. um, so you've, there's a few pairs of boots that have been used over the years. Um, but in the original, you sort of coming out just now and saying fisting, in typical coming fashion, uh, <laughs> reminds me of the occasion. If you can imagine this, that we, as part of our research for the original Donmar production, I'm sure oh, you remember this. I know where Ste- you're going with we this. We got yes. Stephen Spender to come in. Stephen Spender, yes. a famous poet who had spent time in Berlin with Isherwood um, and, and Auden. And Auden and talked about it with incredible clarity and honesty, you know. Um, and uh, I mean, now it seems like a different era. You oh, know, but, it's just but, incredible. But before he came in, John <laughs> Wells, who introduced said, listen, you can ask him anything, but really don't ask him about gay sex in Berlin, okay? <laughs> just don't. <laughs> of course. <laughs> He's like, right, any questions? Alan puts his hand up. How, was it, how did you pick up boys? What was the sex yeah. like? You know? <laughs> yeah. How much? I remember he said it was 10 marks. Yeah. yeah. 10 marks but, for know, the night. But what was wonderful about him is that actually he didn't bat an eyelid. He answered you very honestly and said, yeah. oh, well, it was, this is how it worked. You know, we'd be sitting at a bar and then you'd go over to the boy or the man, whatever you fancied, and said, you know, hey, you, you know, would you like to come with me? And they said, how much? I mean, it was, it was completely fascinating. It taught me a lesson, yeah. you know, never be scared of the direct question. <laughs> to, I'm always, I'm all about that. Never just be scared of direct anything, actually. I think it's, it's uh, you know, you just get it out of the way. Mm. I think it's an interesting thing. I, I think I was, you know, I think I don't fear confrontation. Uh, in in life, and I think that's uh, obviously a hard earned lesson. But it's it's something that's really good when you actually go out into the world because you just think, oh, I'm not going to deal. I'm not going to hold anything in. That's uh, yeah, going to I think harm I think me. anyone who's been in the situation with you as well, you're, it's not confrontational though. You'd say you don't fear confrontation, but you ask it in a spirit of genuine inquiry and interest, and you don't. There's nothing kind of aggressive about it. You, no, it's, it's very open, and I think people respond to that. You know, totally. and I think that that spirit, weirdly, found its way into the way that you played the MC. There was a way in which you addressed the audience that was so on the level. It was so I just looked at them and talked to them, and mm. and, and and I it made you. I mean, I, I think perhaps I, I wonder what you think, but perhaps that came from some of your years doing comedy on the fringe and and not being kind of going the conventional acting route. But totally. it was one of the things that defined the show for me was the way in which you know you 
you you brought the audience with you every step of the way. Yeah, yeah. It was quite unusual what we were doing, particularly when we took the show to Broadway. And now it mm. seems it seems you know quite um, you know site specific theatre is, is is not unusual. But in no. those days, in those days, you know, the idea that we would that we would construct a nightclub and the show would take place in the nightclub, and that the audience would be at tables, could drink. You know, and the lights would come on during the numbers, so you could see. Uh, each table had a lamp, so you, when you came out, could actually see the audience, and that was a very deliberate thing of making yeah. the audience feel part of the numbers. Yeah, you know, and the degree to which the conventions of sort of you know early twentieth century theatre were still trapped in them. You know, the audience sits in the dark. The actors mm. stand on stage and they have lights that are so bright they're blinding, you know, and they're coming yeah. in at eye level, so you can't see anything. It yeah. stops. It stops you. It encourages a kind of detachment where the actor sort of looks in the general direction of the audience, but they can't yeah. actually see their eyes. No. And and here, you know, you could literally not only that, but they were sitting right up against you. And in the Donmar, I mean, you know, they were literally, you know, they, they, oh, were practic- they could practically see inside those wide fronts. <laughs> practically, um, <laughs> from it, beneath, it did feel from like. That. <laughs> yes i mean that was what was so amazing about that doing it first of all in such a small theater that you really felt that it really did well it was a nightclub they walked into this entire room yeah. which had been converted and this thing it was you know groundbreaking it certainly was the first time it sort of broken into the mainstream broadway there was a big mm. debate when we opened on broadway wasn't there whether we were allowed to call ourselves a broadway show because we had kind of invented a new theater which That's at right. that point what the hell was the club called what the, was the club oh, called? Uh, oh, the, uh, exposure no not exposure well, like, it was uh, something we were in a nightclub and every yeah. night i mean people don't yeah. believe me when i tell them this every night after our show finished they cleared our set away they cleared all the props away and they had a conventional nightclub started at 11 o'clock, yeah. went till five in the so morning. I and loved often, it. So often you were there. I was totally there. <laughs> and what was great was that you would have, it was the best thing ever because you'd be sort of, ah, finish the show, have people up to my room. I had a little garden. Remember that little garden I yeah, had outside of my yeah. window? A lot of fairy lights. <laughs> a lot of fairy lights, a lot of outdoor shower, a lot of drinks. And then it popped down the stairs and then could literally be dancing on the stage that yeah. I'd just been performing yeah. on an hour before. Yeah. And then it was also great because you could just go, oh, let's go upstairs, you know, for whatever reason. And up we could go up to the my dressing room. So it's like having a private part, room at a, at a yeah. club. I mean, it, but, you know, now that it's difficult. People don't believe you that that, that was a Broadway. That became a conventional. It was treated as a conventional Broadway show. It was eligible <laughs> for Tony Awards. You won a Tony Award. And yet you were basic. We were basically doing it in a nightclub. And that yeah. breaking down of the boundaries of, you know, what's conventionally termed a Broadway show and what, what is, you know, it's basically off Broadway or fringe, or whatever. That was really important for the show. I felt like it, yes. it, it sat in a very interesting. It had a sort of an edge to it. Yeah, it did. It was genuinely, it was genuinely a little scary to be in the space, you know. Yeah, and you made it feel exciting, but also a little scary. And the show is scary in the second yeah. half, particularly. Yeah. And you want it to have to slightly disturb you. And I fought very hard. You probably forgotten this, but I fought very hard at the time to forbid playbills in the theatre because I remember that Sam yeah I thought that was great yeah because yeah. two things what used to happen is first of all it says it's a Broadway show everyone relax it's not a nightclub so that yeah. obviously was counterintuitive but 
But the second thing was that every time the bloody lights came on in the, on the tables, they, people would start reading the playbill by yeah. books, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, look, it says here, Alan Cumming used to be a, a comedy performer. He had marvellous, and he did Hamlet, <laughs> you know. But it, it, sort of, it killed the any idea of yeah, the Yeah, no, that was a great, a great idea. Why did you uh, want to do Cabaret in the first place? I can't pretend that I had any sort of real kind of burning insight into it when I first thought about it. What I was doing at the time was running the Donmar, you know, Mm. and it had only been open for maybe a year, just over a year. You know, we had started, I say open, I mean, we reopened the space as the Donmar warehouse with a new auditorium with me as artistic director uh, in 1992 with a production of Stephen Sondheim's Assassins with the UK premiere of Assassins. And right. It had gone really well. It was the first, my, my first musical as a director. We had managed to do it in a way that was more music theatre than musical. You know, we, yeah. we didn't have mics, didn't have mics, which is staggering, wow. I think now, you know, but you didn't have a mic, Alan, when we did Cabaret. Did I not? No. Wow. You didn't have a mic God. in the original production. You had a mic on Broadway. Obviously, it's a big right. space. But the Donmar allowed you. God. And, you know, yes. all you had to do is, is, is you know, and so that Pump meant that we, bit, had yeah. to, we had to elevate the band and put them behind the performers because otherwise right. you wouldn't be able to hear it. So, you know, so that was so a couple of the big decisions were already made for us. We don't want a mic. Therefore, the band have to go upstairs. Therefore, we have to build a gantry. Therefore, the band should be up. And then Paddy Canine, who was a musical director of the show yes. in uh, the Donmar said, why don't we use actor musicians? Why don't the actors play the instruments as well? That And that was another revelatory thing because exactly. that, that had never had, and that's now just everybody has to Well, a John Doyle production. Yeah. The, yes. <laughs> the Johns. Everyone has to be able to whip a, a cornet out from their underpants at a <laughs> yeah. crucial moment. Do you know what? <laughs> uh, Rob Marshall told me this story that when they were... <laughs> When they were rehearsing, there was no Broadway cast. They had all these Broadway hoofers coming in and singing and dancing. And this was one guy who was really gorgeous and amazing and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, they said to him, do you, do you play an instrument? And he looked at them like you know, they'd asked, been asked if he had murdered anyone. And he said, well, I can play the skin flute. That's what he said. <laughs> I was like, we should have had him. Exactly. <laughs> that's uh, that's Rob's kind of audition. Yeah, um, so hilarious. But, no, brilliant. Broadway auditions were hilarious because we did say, you know, please bring a, an instrument. You know, you have to mm. be able to play an instrument, bring it in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we basically, if they were good uh, they could sing act and play an instrument they were in the show because fundamentally there were only about 20 people who could do all three of those things and we just about were able to cast it with jim carnahan you know but when i first came to do it i I was looking for something you know that 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 felt like a piece of music theater wasn't a musical had something serious to say yeah and i had always assumed that cabaret was the movie you know i mean my my knowledge of musical theater i'm not a you know big musical theater wasn't then and Me I just neither. thought, oh, well, yeah. you know, exactly. Well, I thought, well, it's, it's Bob Fosse, isn't it? I mean, you can't get any better than that. And <laughs> it was Paddy who said, actually, the stage show is quite different. Yeah, and there's all those old people. <laughs> you, there's, the, there's a whole other story and there's a whole other set of songs and there's yeah. a whole other, you know, show to deconstruct and there's some really interesting things in there. And when I looked at it, I thought, oh, actually, this is this is – this is very different, you know. Yeah. I mean, the obvious things, if you know the, the movie, that, that Sally is American and, and uh, Cliff is English in the movie, and it's the other way around in the show. Yeah. That Sally, in the original Broadway production, along with the MC, were the supporting players. The leading roles were the old couple, 
You know, yeah. they were above the title. Lottie Lenya, yeah, and Jack, Lottie Lenya, yeah, and Jack Gifford. You know, they they were above the title. They were they were the box office names. Nobody had ever heard of Jill Howarth and Joel Grey, um, mm. so they were way down down the bottom. And I, I was sort of thinking about it, and I read it, and I I'm a big fan of the the movie critic David Thompson, and mm. in in his biographical dictionary of film, this sounds like a a tangent, but it actually isn't. He talks about Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse, for me, is one of the great filmmakers. Oh, uh, quite apart from being a great choreographer, you know, he's yeah. a great filmmaker. Yeah, no, amazing. And in the biographical dictionary film description of Bob Fosse's career, David Thompson is not entirely complimentary about the movie of Cabaret, and set, which oh. I think is he's wrong, by the way. I think it's a great movie. Mm. But uh, he, he says, you need only to imagine the nightclub seen through the prism of Joel Grey to see how the movie compromises. The whole movie seen through the prism of the nightclub. That's how he puts it. The whole movie seen through. And I thought, in that moment what? of reading that, I thought, why don't we set the whole show in the nightclub? Ah, oh, I see. And, and that that was the germ of the idea that made me think, let's do it. And then I went to Caro, right. who we know and love, who, who ran yes. Domo with me and said, would you hate me forever if we'd have ripped all the seats out and put everyone at chair, <laughs> tables and chairs? And she went, yes. <laughs> and then we, yeah, and sure. then we did it. <laughs> and then we did it, you know. Hello there. This is my friend Joe. Hi. Now, Joe plays rugby for England. Yeah, what's your point? Come on. Well, Joe presents a podcast and it's my firm belief that you should listen to it. Very interesting. And here's why. Because it's not actually a rugby podcast because, well, let's face it, there's billions of them already. No, 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 no. It's about you, the listener, and the jobs you do. If you're a teacher, an astronaut, a tree surgeon or a chef, then we've got loads of questions for you. The Joe Marler Show. Because... Everyone is interesting if you ask the right questions. That's a great line. That's a that is a very good line from you, Tom. Thank you, Joe. You want to find it? Search for the Joe Marler Show in your podcast app. Because everyone is interesting if you ask the right questions. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I mean, I think it was we were unafraid, uh, completely unafraid of rough edges, you know. Yeah. And um, you know, Lee Anderson was a choreographer of the original production, yeah. and it was messy. And 
I, I remember taking a few things from that production and, and insisting on them in, in the New York production, all mm. of which caused a bit of a kerfuffle with the company. One of them was, you know, in, during Mine Hair, they have to smoke cigars, real cigars, you know, oh, yeah, smoke. Right. So people in the auditorium might actually inhale some cigar yes. smoke. But the one that, one that caused the most distress, and I'm sure you remember this, is I told the girls they weren't allowed to shave their armpits. That's um, right. Yes, and it was it was carnage. People were sobbing. <laughs> there were people calling their agents. <laughs> oh, so big! I didn't know that. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It was it was like you know, um, and 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 I and I'm I have this thought every time. So I I have a daughter now, Phoebe, who's three and a half, and her favorite movie currently is The Greatest Showman. Now, in The Greatest uh, Showman, there is a bearded lady. Yes, you've seen the movie, yeah, uh, with yep. a big, a big, very nicely sculpted beard. But when she glams up and does the number, she lifts her arms, and her armpits are shaved. <laughs> oh no! And I and I have the same thought each time. I'm like, so she shaves her armpits, but she doesn't shave her beard. <laughs> and I'm like, she wouldn't have got away with that. No, at, at oh, studio, that's terrible. At studio no. fifty four in 1998. No. It is really. <laughs> fascinating that whole thing about body hair i remember i remember all the hoo-ha about that and i remember like my armpit hair being kind of the cause of much consternation at like it, yeah. it's quite bushy and everyone was sort of talking was like, I, remember, I remember it being in gossip i mean like page six like yeah. something about my armpit hair i was like oh for fuck's sake people and then and also do you remember around about that time julia roberts went to a premiere and she had she waved and she had a little little tuft of armpit hair and it was as though you know, the know. Pope was a serial killer or something. <laughs> it, it was so interesting. I think, you know, one of my theories, Sam, about why that production was so sort of successful and, 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 and kind of entered the zeitgeist in a way that musicals don't really. Because I, I, you know, I, mm. a few years later, after we did it, first of all, in New York, I was driving across country in America and went into some little cafe in, in Colorado or somewhere. And this guy, I went up to the counter and this guy went, hey, you're the cabaret guy. I was like, oh, yes, yes. Did you see the show? He was like, no. And I, it, 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 it just, he hadn't seen, he didn't know me from other things, but he knew I was yeah. the cabaret guy somehow that it kind of had entered. Like, I, apparently as well, like I've talked to someone, when we did the Tonys, you know, obviously when you do the Tonys, it's sort of like you see the, the rest of America sees the, yeah. the stuff for the first time. And by that point, the Broadway people are all a bit inured to it. They were used to it. This, our sensation had kind of calmed down a little bit and we were yeah. just getting on with it. And then it had another thing. But I think part of the reason there was that sensation is the is the sort of political climate of the time in America, which was the time of the Clinton, uh, you know, scandal and the way that yeah. sex was being talked about every day in this very, uh, you know, being dissected in a very shameful kind of yeah. way. And I'm sure that was that actually helped us because we were this very uh, liberated and kind of there I was, you know, splayed over buses and yeah. everything. I think it's so interesting that kind of just clash of culture and political subterfuge. Yeah, I mean, I think for New York, it was a kind of perfect show at that time as well because mm. it it had the sort of it has the high and the low combined. It has the high culture of the great sort of. You know, associations with John Van Druten, I am a camera, Isherwood, yeah, high yeah. You know, liter literary figures, you know, Fosse, Cabaret. But it also has a Broadway tradition. It was a Hal Prince show. It was yeah. Joel Grey. It was, and yet 
all of it was somehow new. Um, and they coined a new, I remember saying, you know, uh, we're coining a new phrase for, for, for shows like the, the cabaret, your, your pressure cabaret. We're calling them revisals. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I love we, that. Well, we did actually rewrite a bunch of the, of the text, you know, we, yes. um, and we, included songs from the movie we included yeah. my hair and maybe this time we'd cut you know the telephone dance you remember that the fruit shop dance various oh, other things um, yeah. on broadway we managed to come we, we we went for the movie version of money whereas in london if you remember we did a different version of the money song um, yes so all these things you know now what, what that came out of the fact that I was I, I was convinced when we did it at the Donmar that we were sort of so under the radar I could basically rewrite it without asking, and right. I did. And right. uh, our great good fortune, and it was a stroke of good fortune, is that John Kander, in particular John Kander and, and Joe Masteroff, who wrote the book, are two of the nicest human beings in the Darlings. universe. Yeah. And they came and they went, guys. I remember I remember Joe saying to me. Strictly speaking, Sam, you shouldn't have done any of that, you know. But I loved it, you know. And, <laughs> oh, and, they, and they got behind it straight away. Yeah, now, they could easily have just pulled the plug and said, you know, Fred. I know Fred. Fred Ebb was a little bit more um, circumspect about it. I oh, think was he, he really? Felt, he was. He thought it was. I mean, in London, it was flirting with. It was so rough around the edges. There were times when he felt, I think it was a bit amateurish, but he was behind it. And John and Joe both persuaded him to let it happen. And and then he loved the Broadway version. He loved it. It was right, just a yeah. little bit more together. And, you know, it was yeah. a better show on Broadway, I think. Would you, wouldn't you? you say it was better on Broadway? I thought it was. Definitely. It was better and it was more sort of, it was more powerful in, in what it was trying to do. And yeah. I think that was partly because it was bigger and expanded and we were, we'd sort of, we were conf- more confident about it. We knew what was what were its strengths. But you know, it's funny you should say that about uh, about Kander and Eb and, and and Fred Eb being a little funny because <laughs> I remember when they first came to New- to London to see it. I remember it was one matinee. The- I came out and they were in the auditorium and we're having a, lo- a really nice chat. They were being lovely. And John Kander, uh, the composer, said to me, "You know, Alan, gosh, really, you know." Sh- amazed by your performance is there, you know I've just wondered is there anything has there ever been a time when a director has said asked you to do something and you've thought no that's too much that's going too far I couldn't do that I'm, I'm not prepared to do that and I just went no and Fred <laughs> and, and Fred went clearly <laughs> you've never told me that story that's brilliant isn't that good I just love clearly. it clearly yes another thing I remember from that first time round was that so when we were going to do um, Money the first time around, you know, we were going to swap genders. Jane Horrocks, who played Sadie she was going to dress as a man and I was going to dress yes. as a woman. And we were, and then we were inside, a sort of, we were sort of being like homeless people in a cardboard box. And, and I, I, we, oh, ended yes. up not, we ended up not doing that. I remember I spoke to Jane recently. We were laughing because there was one time when John Gordon Sinclair, the actor, Scottish actor, came to the show. He came several times. He was obsessed with the show. But he, he said that when we, at the start of that song, he could hear Jane laughing inside the cardboard box before it started because we were just in hysterics. But anyway, we, so we had a costume fitting and I, for this sort of dress I was going to wear and then we ended up not doing the... Um, uh, the that that um, doing the, sh- the number like that we didn't have a, I didn't have a dress on but you said you know that dress looks so good on you let's put it so that's why I sang I don't care much in the second half of the show in yes. a dress it's basically just for you to get me in a dress that you'd seen in a costume fitting because I don't care much was 
hadn't I think it was cut from the Broadway production in the uh, 70s well, was it there's an interesting there's an interesting story about that well, Do the tell. first thing to say is the first thing to say is that the the, the idea of jane giggling in a cardboard box is <laughs> you know will, will captures i think the spirit with which and in which the production was done i, I think there was a kind of freedom and a joy there which yes. you know the young adam godley playing cliff was wonderful yes, sarah kesselman darling. was absolutely superb amazing as schneider you know but it, it had a kind of freedom a kind of oh well let's you know if it if it if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter, which you never get on Broadway. And Broadway is no. like, oh my god, it's it's cabaret, you know, it's the crown jewels, you know. And right, when I came yeah. to do when I came to do Gypsy years later, I I tried to create that same feeling, and it's impossible on Broadway because these shows have reputations. They come along once every 10, 20 years, and people mm. care so much about them that people sort of freeze when they try and recreate them. And right. in that case, you know, they, they they don't you don't feel that there's a will to to recreate it to revise it rather than yeah, just to revive yeah. it it's a different thing but um the story about i don't care much and you're absolutely right when i i remember that when i saw you in that dress i thought <laughs> it's much more interesting for him to come out in the dress simply because it looks good and, you know, for no other reason and 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 to, and for it to be completely unexplained right you just yeah like, that's also oh, good yes there's but also there was there was a a philosophy behind it which is we wanted him to shapeshift. We, 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 one mm. of the first conversations I had with you when we sat down, it's like, wouldn't it be interesting? And rather than being this consistent figure like Joel Gray in the movie, who really is relatively unchanged and always looks pretty much the same in his tales and his top hat yeah. and what have you, that actually this MC looks totally different number to number. And yeah. you're never quite sure. And of course, the final transformation in our production was that he was revealed, you know, um, in, in the camps, and that was that was where it was heading from the beginning. So right. we all we had a we had a notion. I felt I had a notion, and, and and you and I came up with it very much together. You had loads of brilliant ideas. I remember sitting down with you at one point and just throwing images out at you, and you going, "Yeah, I like that. Mm, not sure about that. Yeah, I like that one too." And, <sighs> and I just wrote those down, and I thought, "Let's see if we can make these work." Yeah. Um, at the right moment in the show. So, for example, I remember talking to you about what if I projected an image of Hitler over you at one point, and and you were like, I love that, you know, wow. and I couldn't I couldn't make it happen for some reason, but you know, and and uh, one of the early ones, why I don't I bring you down? Why don't I bring you down on a trapeze like Mae West, uh, like um, oh, uh, uh, yes. like a. Uh, you know, like, uh, the Blue Angel, Dietrich yeah. in, in, in the Blue Angel. And we didn't do that until the 25th year right. anniversary where you came down on the trapeze. Such the fun. Night. But that was one of the first images I had about with him. You know, I just thought, what if he becomes Marlena at that point? You know, what if yeah. he sort of, because he, we wanted this sort of asexual, bisexual vibe, this whole thing. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter, boys, men, girls, doesn't matter. I'm, you know, I, I'm here for all comers, you know. And yeah. so that, the, the, the first thing to say is that I don't care much um, was a song that was not written for the show that was that John and Fred were out to dinner and John told me the story with friends and they they finally said listen we've known you for years how do you write songs together and they said and, and, and Fred said I write the lyrics and I just give them to John and John sits down at the piano and then the music comes to him or it doesn't and Let's do it now for you. They had a couple of drinks. Why don't we do it now? What do you want the song to be about? And the guy, their friend, said, "I don't care much." Ah, and that's he went, so okay, great. That's a great. No, no, that's a great uh, title for a song. And so John sat down. So Fred wrote the lyrics out. I don't care much. Go or stay. I don't care much either way. 
and John sat down and and then they Brilliant. said, what show are we going to put this in? And they were reviving Cabaret on Broadway with Joel. Which one was this? Like in the 70s? In the late, in the 80s, they revived it with the Joel 80s. above the title. So this is 10 or so years after Joel had won the Oscar for, for playing the MC. They revived mm. it on Broadway and they gave Joel that song. So that song had been in the show for the weirdest reasons, you know, and, and also encouraged all of them to think of that show as a constantly evolving work in progress. Right. So when we yes. came along, we weren't the first people to have messed around with their show. They did it themselves in the late 80s with Joel, with, with, a, with that particular song. So it did it did make it to that production? It did. It, was, that was, it, it did. It, ah. he's, Joel sang it, but he sang it in, in the context of the club, and I don't think he sang it in the same place in the show i think we moved it to the to its to where it was which is it's kind right. of the 11 kind of the 11 o'clock number in a way you right know, yeah and um, very much that, as the decay and everything was starting to be very obvious exactly so i thought that was that was a great uh you know that 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 was a great song that no one expected no one knew from the movie and no one and really no knew no one no soundtrack. one knew it at all um, and it had me in a lovely dress which and i could get you in your dress which really was the <laughs> which was really the main point of the whole the whole event <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but you know it's it's to say the obvious thing cabaret is a great musical because you don't ask the question who are they singing to? <laughs> because, right. Yeah. You know, because particularly in our production, they're singing directly to the audience who are in a nightclub. And that, yes. I think, so that does make a huge difference. And it was very interesting that when Rob Marshall came to do his first movie, he did Chicago, and his, his central filmic convention was that the songs are imagined by Roxy yes. in a nightclub. Yes. In a nightclub, uh, which yeah. is fundamentally the Fosse, you know, that's the basis of cabaret, yeah. which he had just which he had just choreographed. So, and many of there are many things in his movie of Chicago that weren't exactly borrowed from cabaret, but certainly were echoes of things at cabaret. That totally, the stage homages. Set, you know, yeah, there were the lots of homages within there, and that's one of the reasons why Chicago is one of the most successful screen musicals of the last ten or twenty years because you don't ask the question. Who are they singing to? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why yeah, are they singing to the true. camera? You know, which is exactly. something that felt fundamentally out of fashion. You know, sometime yeah. in the early sixties. You know, have you done any more musicals of late? I, I have a love hate relationship with musicals, just like you, Al. I, mm. I, I am. Um, I'm not a from the musical theatre in a way. My, my most enjoyable musicals have all been on a small scale. So. Uh, Assassin's Cabaret mm. Company. Uh, uh, you know, the, when I did Company with Adrian Lester, that was a, right. a, a show I loved. That was two years after Cabaret, and those right. all three of those, two of them, Cabaret obviously and, and Company, went to bigger theatres. Uh, Company went to the West End, and I felt they grew from the inside out. They kind of, mm. you know, they just they were actor driven. They were pieces of music theatre. They weren't. Mm. I didn't cast singers. I casted actors who could sing, which is a different, subtle difference. Definitely. So people's people's singing voice came out of their speaking voice, not produced sound. You know, it wasn't. yes. So it was a. In many ways, at the time, it was the era of the pop opera, Bublil, Schoenberg, Lloyd Webber, yeah. etc. And it was a reaction against that sort of slightly mechanical style of singing that I felt yeah. was going on at the time. Formula. And I tried to apply that same set of rules to Gypsy, which was not a particularly happy experience because I felt that the writers, ultimately Arthur Lawrence, didn't really want it. They wanted what they've always had, which is a very Was he good... there all the time? Was he in the, in the room? 
Rehearsal not room. all the time, but as much as he could be. But he, he mm. cast a long shadow for a very small man. Mm. <laughs> 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 it's interesting that I, I played Hamlet right before the MC. And of course, when you play Hamlet, there's millions of different people have played it and given different interpretations. And every, you know, there's no one thing. It's like each actor, it's accepted that each actor brings something to that role according to they, themselves, where they are in their lives and what the circumstances are in society at that time. Whereas with the MC and Cabaret, basically it's Joe Gray and me have done the two sort of most well-known interpretations yeah. of that role. Only two of all the gazillions of productions that they've, that they've done of it. So what I was excited about hearing the other day is that they're going to be doing a new production in London and Eddie Redmayne's going to be playing the, the Master of Ceremonies. No, I didn't know that. Yes, I heard that the other day. And Jesse Buckley playing Sally Bowles. Baz Bamig boy broke the story. Uh, Sam, I'm surprised you're not reading your Daily well, Mail and finding all this strangely, out. Strangely, strangely, I don't have my <laughs> finger on Baz's pulse at the moment. Oh, don't! <laughs> I got a bad visual there. Um, but but uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's really exciting. It's uh, it's exciting and somewhat of a relief to me, I have to say, that someone high profile like Eddie. So this is going to be a big the big news, this production, will do something that will be completely different to what I did or what Joe did, and suddenly it'll open the the circle, not even the circle, the kind of the line. And I think um, hopefully then I'll stop being bombarded with, you know, 16-year-old boys and girls in Florida with little straps over their bodies. I, trying to I would like love me. to say, I think, I would love to say, I think that that's going to happen, but I don't think it is, Al. I think that the, 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 um, your performance as the MC is baked into that production. And that production, because it was a rewritten and it was then re-licensed mm. in all mm. the so that so our version, which had re, all the new numbers in from the movie, the reordered scenes, yes, the, it's the, the, the more it's open, the, thing the more openly gay subtext. That's yeah. what they want to do, and that's got my ad libs in it. That's what I think's hilarious. All these things, some of these lines that I do in the you know some of the things I say, like oh, I can't mm. remember, like oh you, uh, I bet you do, you know all that stuff. That was, I, I just made those up. But also some of them were like pinched from Victor and Barry from my days doing a double act in the 80s. Lives I made yeah. up then are now being said yeah. in like Israel by some poor yeah. actor, not realising where they came from. Forbes doesn't realise he's breaking the fourth wall in all, all around the world. As we speak. No. Yeah, it's true. I've got a story I have to tell, uh, uh, which is, Please. so somewhere in, in the in the late rehearsals of the original production um, in London, 93, I, I came to you and I said, during the entr'acte between the, yeah, it's, you know, the, the, the band strikes up, there's a slow part. Why don't you come out and dance with the, with the audience? And you went, oh yeah, that's a lovely idea. I love that. And then we didn't really talk about it after that. And then it was chaos. I mean, we, we had to rebuild the theatre. So we had no time left for teching. We teched the show in like a day and we got to the first, we sort of staggered to the first preview uh, and we weren't entirely prepared. And we, I was hard, we were halfway through the first half the fir- of the first act on the first preview. And I had this awful thought, oh, my God, I haven't set, we haven't worked out what Alan's going to do in the interval. So in the interval, I rushed round to the dressing room. And there you are. Um, Reclining say, with a martini. Well, you know, you probably were. That's the awful truth. A man, a man, as a man, you've never been prey to nerves, Al. Anyway, no. so 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 I said to you, oh, Christ, we haven't worked out what to do in the interval. And he went, oh, it's okay. I've got it worked out. And I was like, really? And he went, yeah. And you came out and you had it all worked out. You had the, you, you, 
brought up a woman to dance with you. You had a few little funny one-liners with her. You got her talking. The audience went mad. You sat her down, and then you picked a man up to dance with, and you danced yes. with him, and you had a couple of funny one-liners, and the audience went even more mad, and you sat him down at exactly the right time in the music before it goes up tempo, and then you waved them goodbye, and you went into the wings. And sure I was open-mouthed. Now, <laughs> you did that pretty much consistently throughout your entire performance as the MC, yeah. And people say, oh, I love the stuff he does in the interval. Well, I mean, how did you think of that? And I'm like, <laughs> I have to say, I'd love to take credit for that. But like, not one word of it was ever discussed. He just made that shit up. And then- <laughs> well, that's my sta- that's my, there's my stand-up comedy background well, right there for you. Absolutely, yeah. But, you know, that's a defining thing. My, you danced with my uncle. He came over from Trinidad. Yeah, it was three or four weeks into the run in London. He has never forgot it. And to this day, every time I see him, he says, do you remember when Alan Cumming danced with me? It's really, it was awesome. I I actually meet people still, you know, I I mean, I must have danced with, I mean, maybe even a thousand. I don't know. Like there's two people every show. And I did, I can remember I did like, yeah. In the yeah. total, I did like eight hundred times over, over thousand the... people easily. Oh, easily, yeah. And so once in a while, I'll bump into someone, and what's hilarious is they do that thing, like you know, when people that annoying thing people do when they say, "Oh, you don't remember me, do you?" And you're like, "Well, obviously not." Or I would have said, and like, you know, I think, and I also, I always say that's a bad start to a conversation when someone says, "You don't remember me, do you?" But these people, it's very funny. They come up, and they're very coy, and they go. We've actually already met. I'm like, oh, really? Where was that? And they go, well, you took, you, we danced together. And, and I always think, oh, I see. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's an amazing moment. And it was obviously like, I mean, imagine if you go to the theater and you're pulled up on the stage. Yeah, it doesn't it, happen. Yeah, it's not, yeah. it was not a panto. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so it is, mm. it is very, uh, a big deal for people. But I, it's so lovely, this connection I've got with these, with these, yeah. uh, uh, thousands of people that I actually did have a, a moment in their lives that must be sort of very terrifying. And it was always it was always exciting. Actually, it was always like I always mm. got a rush from it because you never knew what you're gonna what's going to happen. You yeah. know, you know the the time when I couldn't get a man to come up, yeah. and I I was just like, oh god! And I was trying all my tricks. I had all these lines to get all these, and I would always try and get the sort of straightest, butchest, biggest <laughs> guy because it was really funny if someone was towering over me. And I just there was a guy I was working on. This is in Broadway the first time. Couldn't get it. Couldn't get him. And I was just like, oh shit. I'm not going to get a man tonight, as it were. So I, so I, w- I walked to the, back to the stage, and as I was going back, I saw this old guy, sort of, and I, and, I, and he had his sort of side sideways to me. I couldn't see his face, and I grabbed his elbow, and went, "Come on, granddad, you'll do something like that." Took him up and started dancing, and the whole place went nuts. And I remember, in my total little naive little Scottish boy way, thinking. <laughs> How lovely that Americans are so respectful of their elders. That's what I thought. <laughs> and I said, what's your name? And he went, Cronkite. And it was Walter Cronkite. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Sam, this has been so lovely talking to you about this trip down memory lane. Yeah, delightful. Cabaret. delightful. and the next time I've said everyone says to me are you going to I mean people seriously say this to me you did it in 1993 then you did it in 1998 then 16 years later you did it in 2014 are you going to do it again and I was like seriously if the next time if say they did it in another 16 years I would be 66 years old you do not want to see 
that getting hiked up in a harness. I, I would, I would, I would pay good money to see you do three ladies, two ladies in a Zimmer frame. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sure it's on its way. I'm sure there's going to be some revival, or some TV special. No, but I said I'd play uh, Fräulein Schneider. I think that'd be a good, that'd be a good twist <laughs> to keep the DNA oh, yeah. link. You know. Anyway, um, thank you so much, Sam. This was such uh, fun. It was so lovely to talk to you. Pleasure. And you I hope too, we see each too. other in real life ere too uh, long. Yeah, exactly. Lots of love, Al. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, it's now time for me to put my boot, my one fake spat boot, back in its place. And I hope you'll join me for another adventure next time on Alan Cummings Shelves. Alan Cummings Shelves is hosted by me, Alan Cumming, duh, and produced by the lovely Jack Claremont. We are part of the ACAS Creator Network and the Crowd Network too. We just love networks. Another Crowd Network podcast to check out is Unaccountable. It's a podcast fighting for police accountability in the United States. It's a podcast that tells the stories of innocent people who've been killed by the police, just like George Floyd, but also people like Mohammed Muhaimin, Shacey House and Carrie Illidge. And so many more you haven't heard about, but you really should have. The stories can be difficult to listen to, but this could be the most important podcast you'll ever hear. It's a podcast fighting for change, and we need to join that fight. Just search for Unaccountable in your podcast app now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.